0: I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Joining me today in studio is our deputy editor, Andrew Knowlton, and our special guest, Aaron London, chef of Al's Place, the best
1: new restaurant in America.
0: Al, well, you're not Al, you're Aaron.
1: (laughs) That must happen all the time. It does happen all the time, yeah. I mean, I'm the, the AL in Al's Place, but technically I'm Aaron, so.
2: So, Aaron, we named you, obviously, the best new restaurant 2015 in our September issue, which has been on the newsstand for... A few weeks now give I'm always curious you know you know you've you were busy you know before and you've been open
1: since February? February 6th yeah. February so 6th. Sunday was our seventh month anniversary. So what's it been
0: like since since
1: garnering this award? <laughs> it's been good I mean it's it's been instead of having like one busy night a week like you know uh-huh. always being solid but having that one like gnarly crazy night Um, it's just been every night's a gnarly crazy night now every night Saturday night you know. And it's been, I mean, it's been fun. There's been a ton of energy. The guests that are coming in are like that much more excited. I think like, you know, our return guests are always excited to come in. They know that they're going to have a great experience. But ever since it's uh, came out, there's been like that that extra like level of energy. People are like, ooh, I want to be here. Is it a different customer? It's, you know, it's a combination. And what what we're doing to try to like, you know, make sure that it's not too much of a different customer to keep that combination is that we're aggressively um, uh, blocking reservations and Uh keeping 70% of the dining room open for uh, walk-ins to make sure that people from San Francisco from the neighborhood from the bay can still get in and that it's not just new people that have seen the the bon appetit article that are that are taking up all the reservations so it is a mix of new people that are excited to be there and you know old school people the people that have been supporting us since opening that are still coming in right
0: two things about al's place i was i was surprised by is that a it, it does kind of have that neighborhood vibe still this is not some white tablecloth like temple of food and b there's only a few of you guys in the kitchen actually cooking. <laughs> this is very meticulous, high-end, precise, beautiful food turned out by a small staff. Is, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think it's very fair to say. I, I mean, I'm definitely... I, Trying to staff up now. <laughs> you know what I mean, now is the time to pull the trigger. But up until a month and a half ago, I mean, it was me and two other guys that opened the place. You know, my two sous chefs are rock solid. I worked with both of them back at a, at Ubuntu, so I have a you know, long-standing relationship with them. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just the three of us. Uh, you just know, just three. That's it. Yeah, me and two other guys. Yeah, I was it's on...
2: amazing when you, if anyone's going, or you, which you should go to Al's places. I think the first time you go, sit at the bar, because then you kind of have this box seat, luxury box, onto the kitchen. And, you know, if you closed your eyes and, and couldn't see the kitchen, you would think it was like Danielle or Jean-Georges where there's like 50 minions in the kitchen <laughs> putting out these crazily orchestrated plates. And then you realize there's only three people back there. And-
0: so, Andrew, how, how would you distill his style of cooking into a, a few sentences? How would you describe his well, I think food to someone who hasn't been? Yeah,
2: it's, uh, it's, it's a tough – I think of all the restaurants I've – eaten at since, you know, we've been doing the hot 10. This is one of the ones that it was hard to kind of pinpoint what it was, but it's, it's vegetable driven food where every, you know, whether it's a fava bean or a tomato, everything is kind of that platonic ideal of what you would imagine that it tasting like. And it's not just that San Francisco, like I'm going to put a fava bean on a plate when you look into the kitchen, he's doing four or five things to that single fava bean to get to that place. And as a diner, it doesn't really matter if you know the background of behind it. But when you do find out, it's like, wow, he's charging $9 for this salad. And the amount of effort that goes on into it is, you know, like going to a Ducasse restaurant in Paris. You know, it's so that's it's this kind of precise cooking four-star level stuff, but it's super unintimidating. Um, It's the new, it's new fine dining. I mean, he's kind of redefined
0: that for, for me. Aaron, in terms of influences, was there one restaurant or one chef you worked
1: for which really sort of influenced the way you cook today? Um, I mean, I think there was a handful of like big ones, you know, maybe like top three. I would definitely say that um, top one most influential experience I had was working at Blue Hill Stone Barns for uh, Chef Dan Barber. And when was that? Um, that was back in 2006,
2: 2007. And you, you said to me that that was kind of that aha moment, like I I get it now. Totally. You know? totally. I, what I did you like mean that by was, that?
1: Um, that was kind of the time where everything changed. That was a time I felt like, you know, for maybe a decade before that, I'd been, you know, cooking with like blinders on, headed down, just like moving hard, pushing, you know what I mean? At like one specific goal. That was the one kitchen. That was the one place where I think, you know, chef um, kind of, forced me to pull those blinders off to look around and see that I could aim myself at multiple goals at the same time, you know what I mean? To see what was going on in the entire kitchen at the same time and suddenly it was just like I kind of like floated or lifted above myself and was able to to orchestrate myself as well as
0: How around. how did that happen? Cuz it's interesting cuz when you're in a restaurant like Blue Hill, which is a big restaurant, big staff, so busy, um did Dan, did he communicate that to you? I mean, did he take time with you to sort of try to Get you set straight, or
1: uh, he didn't. Did it. It, it was in his own way, you know, like, which, is, which is what? Um, it, it's hard to explain. I, it was just funny. I, did I he feel... hit you? <laughs> <laughs> he used to, he used to, uh, I'm pretty sure he hit me in the ear a few times with uh, trout skin. Um, uh, <laughs> that was something that happened. Um, no, I just feel like the first six months I was there, it seemed like he wasn't happy with the job I was doing. And I couldn't really understand it because I felt like I had, like, you know, really good skills and experience and drive, and was just really devoted to it and and doing my best. And I kept trying to crush it, and I kept, um, I, I felt like disappointing him, you know. And he kept saying, like, you know, like, oh, you know, Aaron, like, you have all the right things. You just have to put them together. You know, you're you're not using them. You have all of the abilities, but you're not using them, or something along those lines, or really, like, you know, stop getting hung up on the histrionics. Stop getting hung up on like what you've done or what you've learned. And just like step back and do it. And uh, it, it it didn't. It, it didn't make sense to me at first. Like I, I couldn't break through. And finally, I did just have that moment where I did step back and was like, okay, like, like, listen to him, like, think a second, take perspective, look around and uh, think new thoughts, you know what I mean? And that's when I finally kind of like, I don't know, gain that gain that ability to to put together everything I learned in different restaurants and kitchens and, and utilize them.
2: It's almost like since we're on the, the eve of uh, the NFL football season, it's, it's no, when they talk about rookie quarterbacks, like the game moves so fast yeah. and it's that moment where you kind of the game slows down and you can see everything happening totally. and kind of slow it down. I always think that's what it's like yep. in a kitchen. It's like that Zen moment where like it's kind of an out of
0: mind, and out of body play. experience. Yeah. And you just play. So I'm, I'm always curious for most chefs, a kind of a pretty, I guess, intrepid profession. Chefs move around a lot, especially early on. Um so you had this moment of Blue Hill, and then how or why did you leave Blue Hill if you if you kind of had that <laughs> click? What
1: happened? Um, what happened? It was time for me to leave there. Uh, you know, I was there for, for a little over a year, and uh, I was really wanting to go um, work in Europe. That seemed to be like the holy grail to me. Um, I, I had spent four years cooking in Montreal, and for some reason in my mind, I'd never been to France for, before, but in my mind, I'd built up France as like, this is the place I need to be. This is where, like, I thought I wanted to live there forever. I thought yeah. I was not going to come back. Um, and uh, I'd been trying to find, figure out ways to save up, ways to get there. I finally made it to, uh, to Europe, uh, to France, to Paris. And uh, Michael Anthony, who's a big mentor of mine, he was my, uh, the chef de cuisine when I started at Blue Hill. He helped me set up a stage at, um, at a Lestrance there. Uh, you know, very tough to get into, tiny kitchen, you know, Michelin three-star, but it's literally you know, Pascal and three other people, that's mm-hmm. it, you know, doing this amazing food. I think that you know, I take a lot of inspiration from what he was able to pull off there. It was great because I learned a ton, I saw a ton, but I realized finally after like, you know, I'm originally from the Bay Area and uh, you know, the grass is always greener, right? So I left the Bay Area when I was 18 for New York, thinking like, you know, Bay Area is stupid, New York's where it's at. And I thought I would never come back, thought there was nothing going on in the Bay. And after, you know, eight years on the East Coast between New York and Montreal, a year in Europe, I finally looked back and I was like, the Bay Area is the best possible place I could be cooking food in the world. It was my opinion, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, and that was uh, that was solidified by the year in Europe. You know, I thought I would find somewhere better in Europe. I was looking for it. I was like, cool, I'll move here forever, you know? Um, and uh, I didn't find it. Uh, I found places that were close, um, but I felt like the Bay Area was the place to be, so that's when I headed back.
2: You know, interesting thing, he mentioned. Aaron mentioned that he cooked in Montreal. He was the opening sous chef or an opening cook at Au Pied de Cochon in Montreal, which... If anyone's been there you know it's like the fattiest fattiest food (laughs) duck in a can foie gras and then here he is
1: at al's place cooking vegetable forward food where meat is a is a side dish the idea of meats as a side dish um just has to do with the kind of like inclusivity of it and just like the the lack of commitment to it you know Uh um and it it actually kind of started from one specific experience i was you know eating dinner with my my girlfriend and um She's pescatarian, right? And uh, I, I love meat. I don't wanna eat meat all the time. I usually eat pescatarian as well. I mean, fish is delicious, vegetables are delicious. But um it was this one night I had like, you know, a busy, hard day and I'm like I needed some red meat in my mouth. I just needed that to happen, right? And we're sitting there and we're like, we're looking at dishes and we're deciding, and like usually like we share everything. And uh, there's this, you know, there's this duck on the menu. It was like thirty seven dollars. It was gonna be a half duck breast. I knew exactly what I was gonna get with some like little vegetables on the on the plate that were not gonna make any sense and be unnecessary. I didn't want them, I didn't need them, I just needed red meat in my mouth. And um But if I got like the $37 like duck entree, then she was gonna get some like, you know, fish entree, and then we weren't gonna share, and it was gonna completely change the the dining experience of that night. Right. And I was friends with the chef at the place and it just like popped in my head. I was like Man, I wonder if I could go over and just be like, hey, chef, can I just get like a side of like duck? I don't need the other shit. Can I just like, you know, pay you 15 bucks and get a few slices of duck? That's right. all I need, you know? And that was like one area that the whole kind of planted the seed. Like how nice would that be to be able to like not have to think about it, to not have to make all these big menu decisions just to like share and eat what we want to eat. Right. And if I want a few bites of duck, I order some. And if I want a few more bites of duck, I order them too. It's easy, you
0: know? Yeah. But I've often, you know, gotten to the point where, well, where I'll split a steak with my wife or, or something like that where it's like, I don't know if I need 16 ounces of red meat right now. I will eat it if it's in front of me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anyone needs it. No, but if you put four or six ounces in front of me and give me some great vegetable size, like I'm happy and you you get sated, you have that red meat fix. Totally. Um, You know, it's like, yeah, we we have an issue with, I think, portion size in this country sometimes and you will eat what's in front of you, but- uh, if you pare it down and diversify what's in front of you, you'll yeah. eat that too.
1: Well, the thing is, too, is like I don't care how good the steak is, um, your palate is going to get fatigued after yeah. like four to six ounces. There's no way you're going to eat sixteen or, right. or or more ounces of steak and have each bite be as awesome as the first one was. You know what I mean? That first bite's going to be the best, yes. right? It's going to like blow your mouth up. It's like the first sequential. beer, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first beer, first cigarette, whatever. You know what I mean? The first one's going to be the best. I would love like a beer right now. It'd be great. Um, it's always five o'clock somewhere. I would not want to drink a two four right now. You know what I mean? It would be, it would kind yeah. of. Different. Right.
2: One of the things your background is interesting uh, to say the least. And you told me a funny story, and then you ended it with saying that if it wasn't for cooking, that you would either be in jail or dead. Can you explain that a little bit? Because in that way, you're, you know, you're kind of that old school where people entered into the restaurant business because they didn't have any other option. In a lot of ways, it wasn't you know, you know, Oh, I'm going to go to CIA as opposed to Harvard. Cause that's what people, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Now it's a choice for you. It kind of wasn't a choice. It was, it was
1: the only option in some ways, if that's fair to say. Yeah. I, I didn't have anything else that I was ever really good at. You know what I mean? Um, every, any other kind of like direction that I could go, I was yeah. getting in lots of trouble. I was ending up in, you know, juvie and all this type of stuff. And, um, I just had always this insane amount of energy that was always pushing me in the wrong direction. You right. know what I mean? I had nothing that was like guiding me, nothing to drive forward, nothing that I was like, "Oh, when I grow up I want to do this." You know what I mean? I had like no, you know, no ambition towards anything good, anything positive. You know, I ended up finding cooking kind of on accident and, you know, started as a dishwasher and like You know, I was working at this Mexican restaurant where, like, the owner was trying to save money so he wouldn't let me use the hot water. He wanted me to use only the cold (laughs) water. And if you've ever tried to clean, like, that kind of red grease off of, like, dishes at a Mexican restaurant with cold water, Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. And so, but I was, like crushing on dishes just so if i could get my dishes done maybe i could jump in and like learn how to make the pico de gallo or learn how to make the tamales you know what i mean and it was just like it was so exciting like i loved being in that environment you how know? old were you at this point um, point? 14 14 yeah totally and i think maybe it comes from like and you know, i would play some sports when i was younger and i was okay but not that good and like so it's like i wasn't on sports teams anymore and it had that it had that kind of like feeling and that energy of being on a sports team you there's, know you
0: get, there's, i mean working in a restaurant and i've We've done a little bit here and there, but it is adrenalizing.
1: T- totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I mean, massive, uh, massively adrenaline rush. You know what I mean? There's, there's a lot riding on it, and then there's also like the kind of the pleasure of like. You conceptualize something, you push hard on it, you crush on it, you get it up, you get it out, and then you see that you know you get that kind of reward right away, right? Seeing somebody eat it, you know what I mean? And you ask me like how I don't explode, I think it's like serving food and seeing somebody smile is like that, that thing that it's that like little pressure valve, you know what I mean, right? Because that's what I push for, for. If I was in like a closed kitchen and I couldn't see that, right? If I was always just like conceptualizing, prepping, and putting things up, but couldn't see that kind of reaction, I probably, you know, would explode. But that's that's what I live for, right? Is like seeing somebody like out in my dining room, big. Big smile on their face, eating something like you know that's awesome, and that's what it's all for, you know. Yeah. So you worked at Ubuntu,
0: which was a very influential restaurant in Napa Valley, veg- first Michelin starred vegetarian restaurant, or what? Do, how do you? How, do, how would you describe that? Place?
1: Technically speaking, I mean, in my mind, I never thought of it as being vegetarian, mm-hmm. and I still don't. Technically speaking, everything on the menu was vegetarian or vegan, but that just wasn't that wasn't the area we were coming from. Our premise there. Um, was, all right, we have this beautiful biodynamic garden. We can serve stuff only from that biodynamic garden. And another kind of like, you know, decree there was we can't serve anything that kills any like living animal, right? So we can use like eggs and milk and such. Um, We were working on getting like Somebody for a while had told us they were going to get us some caviar that was like harvested via C-section and like <laughs> then they killed a the sturgeon, you know what I mean? Um, but that fell through. <laughs> it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, but that was something that like would kind of like be a loophole we were able to put on the menu that never worked. Um, but that was the whole thing. Like that was the premise there. It was like, okay, we're not cooking vegetarian food. We're cooking food from our garden. Our garden happens to only have vegetables. That was the mentality there. Um, and uh, it was very influential. And it was very much where I think that like my style kind of like came together. And did,
0: I imagine the success of Ubuntu convince you that you could run a restaurant that was vegetable focused and be successful from a business
1: standpoint? Uh, (laughs) Masa manas, you know what I mean? Like it it gained, I think, notoriety, um, but it still lacked that craveability. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Meaning that like, you know, even for myself as the chef there, I thought it was awesome. I thought the food was fantastic, but I can not necessarily say I would have wanted to eat there like once a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I had a buddy who had a restaurant in No Tree down the street that like, I did eat at once a week. I literally wanted to, yeah. you know, cause they just had that variety. Um, I do now feel strongly that Alice Place is a place I would want to eat at once a week.
2: So you being the number one restaurant, I always think about past winners of the number one restaurant, which a few years ago was State Bird Provisions totally. in San Francisco and they just opened The Progress. Last year was Rose's Luxury in Washington, D.C. with Aaron Silverman, and he's opening up um, a second restaurant right next door. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, you own, you know, Al's Place being this kind of passionate love affair and so obsessive. Uh, How do you do you want to open a second restaurant? Does this give you the opportunity to do that? Or is that even in the in the cards right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's always on the mind. Um, I do have a couple other concepts that I would like to do that mm-hmm. I think would go over really, really well. Um, I kind of think that I may change my mind on this, but uh, my feeling on it right now is that like Alice Place will be the only kind of place like that, that it's like completely like my baby and like mm-hmm. just like just passionate and awesome, like, you know, pushing the envelope food. And uh, I have some other ideas for concepts that are just like more casual, fun eateries, you know. That I would like to open up. I've been recommended by some people in the industry to wait three years before opening a restaurant. <laughs> I know I can't do another one right now. I mean, like we're, we're 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 working our asses off just trying to you know keep the wheels on the train at Al's place. Um, now that said, I think my next step um, is uh, is opening a bar. Okay. Um, and uh, something I'd be very excited about. Uh, just completely accidentally, I ended up I ended up bartending for three years in New York. I thought I was going to do it for six months while I was working on a project in Hayes Valley. I ended up working for three years as a bartender at three different good bars in the city. And uh, really learning a lot about it, you know, getting a passion for it, and um, connecting with a lot of people in the industry. So next step is a, is a bar.:
0: And you'll serve beer at 10:45 a.m.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: ladies and gentlemen, that's Aaron London, chef of Owl's Place, our best new restaurant in America. That's Andrew Knowlton, who chose it as the best new restaurant in America. This is a Bon Appetit Foodcast. Thanks for listening.
2: This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.